0: Let's go.
1: Welcome to Citizen. We've got a very special guest today, host of Informed Dissent and author of a new book, Raising Victims The Pernicious Cycle of Critical Race Theory, uh, Leonidas Johnson. Are you any relation to the Leonidas?
0: Uh, it, yeah, it's a distant cousin, man. They, <laughs> <laughs> this is Sparta. It's part of my blood.
1: Yeah. I mean, kicking people in the chest <laughs> is pretty fun. I'm not going to lie. When I was in, uh, when I was in Iraq, we did that quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, 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 uh, anyways, yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell the audience who you are, where you've been, what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm a speech language pathologist by trade. That's my day job. Uh, and I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, master's degree in speech language pathology. Uh, so that's what I do uh, during the day, and then by night I'm a political commentator. I have a podcast, uh, Informed Dissent, as you mentioned. Uh, I write. I have a Substack. Uh, I do social media stuff, commentary, and I've written a book, uh, Raising Victims: Pernicious Rise of Critical Race Theory. So I'm apparently an author now, which is which is kind of crazy. But yeah, yeah. So and yeah, it's, it's it, it was never something that I'm not a really a political kind of person or i haven't been my entire life and it was something that was uh something that was new that really yeah i started really putting my thoughts and ideas out there and really pushing back against the narratives that i was hearing back in the media and, and then all of a sudden I, I turned into a political commentator yeah so it's weird kind of right? came out of nowhere <laughs>
1: it's weird like how um how Fringe lunatics start challenging the epistemology that's existed for thousands of years, and all of a sudden, people who don't give a shit about politics have to be like, "Well, let's slow down, guys. Let's uh, yeah, one plus one still two. Let's calm down." Um, Right. right. So, what what's a speech language pathologist exactly? What do you do?
0: Well, I work in nursing homes. so I mostly work with stroke patients, uh, dementia patients, and I help them learn to swallow, Mm. learn to learn to speak if they're if they're having speech issues. Uh, I work a lot with cognition. So like problem solving, short term memory, uh, thought organization, things like that. So when you're dealing with a lot of dementia and those kind of people aren't really going to get better, but you're Mm -hmm. really trying to keep them from getting worse. That's really what the... what the platform is in the nursing home arena, but you know, every once in a while we get like a stroke patient or something like that, and we can rehabilitate mm. them and get them some sense of independence back. So that's my job.
1: So I guess your area of expertise might be, um, kind of how people think from a, 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 I don't know, maybe even a kinesthetic position, right? Like this, the the mechanics of how to think and move and stuff like that. Is that a good way to put that, or or? Is
0: well yeah yeah I mean that you you do that is part of it you do have to think on that that sort of level uh like i mentioned i have a background in psychology so mm. i think a lot about the psychological aspects of things as well so yeah from a, from a speech aspect when you're thinking about how language works and where language comes from and how people process language and then uh from the cognitive aspect you think about that as well but then also th- from the psychological standpoint just how human beings operate on a very fundamental level and you know this one thing you know we talk about critical race theory and and, and communism and uh socialism and these things that completely ignore the human condition and the essence of what it means to be a human being because you know and thomas soul always talks about i always reference thomas soul because i love that guy but he one thing that he references is that there's a difference between the constrained vision and the unconstrained vision you know the, you have these people who think that human beings are somehow redeemable to get to a point where we can be per, some kind of perfection right mm. and and then you have the constrained vision that it's like no, human beings are flawed, and they've always been flawed, and we have to work within this framework uh, and do the best we can. And you know, so communism, socialism completely ignores that and says no, no, no. Like we can, we can make people better. We can, mm. we can improve the human nature somehow and ignore all thousands of years of human history <laughs> and create this utopia. That's so a, that's it, a really yeah, interesting observation.
1: Yeah, I like that. It's like uh this. Uh, the safetyism that we're kind of bombarded with these days is almost, it, it attacks humanity's ability to be flawed and recognize that they're flawed, right? And then you get the the right. second, third order effects of that are like all the purity tests that you find and divergent political views and things like that. It, it's hard to gain consensus or anything like that. My buddy Chris Williamson calls it a, the 360 degree firing squad, right? It's like eventually you're pointing your gun at everybody right. else because that's what intersectionalism really is.
0: Yeah. And it, it, it has to be that it has to. That's the logical conclusion of that is you you can never be pure enough. No one's ever going to be pure enough. There's there's always going to be some other level of purity that you reach. And, you know, that's why we see these groups start to attack each other and rip each other apart, because once they uh, get rid of the heretics, then the only solution left is to turn on each other and some, continue to purify the church. And you, I mean, we've seen that throughout yeah. all history, but that's it's the logical conclusion
1: yeah it's uh so it it inevitably becomes about something else not a meritocracy or or anything like that it becomes about uh just i mean we call it kin selection right it's it's how we as human beings decide who we're going to consider to be our family and and that in, in the broader term of family to include friends is people who we allow into our lives and respect and love and stuff like that and uh right you know we set these weird parameters throughout the course of our life based on the things we've been taught, the experiences we've had, uh, perhaps some of the failures or traumas we've experienced is like, well, I don't want that kind of person in my life. Like, okay, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe it's not right. But it's, yeah, we, we, it's, it, to me, it's kind of like an iteration of the is ought fallacy, right? Like, well, it should, life should be fair. Like why, why should life be fair? Things are the way they are, man. It's, it's a really good idea to plan for the way things are. If, If a tidal wave is coming towards your home it's not going to help you very much to uh, appeal to equity and hope that things just work out. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the through lines of progressivism and progressive thought is that You need, we need this sense that life needs to be fair, everything needs to be equal, everybody has to have equal outcomes. And we have the power to manipulate things in order to achieve that. And it's just not true. It's it's not true at all. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is the difference between having an internal and external locus of control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have an internal locus of control. You you believe that you have power over your life and that you control what the things that happen to you largely. Uh, you know, even if you you're out of if something happens to you that you can't control, you still have the power to, you know, control how you respond to it. Whereas an external locus of control, you don't have control over your life at all. They, they, Somebody else has the will and they're shaping your destiny. The system is operating on you. And what we see a lot of times in these ideologies is that external locus of control, this idea that the external world, the external system is acting on us and controlling our outcomes and controlling our destiny and what we need to do in order to improve outcomes and make things more fair make things more equal is to manipulate the system, to tear down the foundation, these structures in our society, and then rebuild them from the ground up in some utopian vision so that things will be more equal. And it's just it, it's such a fallacious way of looking at the world. And it only leads to more inequity and more inequality and more destruction. And, yeah, that, it's hard to get people to see that sometimes.
1: Yeah. Why do you think it is? um why do you think people are drawn to to things like communism, socialism, collectivism, um, despite the you know centuries of proof that it they suck? You know what I mean? It just doesn't work. <laughs> it, it's there, there's like this suspension of disbelief where people are like, well, it just hasn't been tried in the in the appropriate way yet. Like, all right, maybe. Maybe, right? That's like saying uh, nobody's ever gotten a drunk toddler to drive a fucking piece of heavy machinery in the correct way, right? It it just (laughs) seems like a fundamentally flawed premise in the beginning. uh, And I'm not sure if even a perfect execution of it would be appropriate. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, like even like you said, a perfect execution of it would not even be ethical on its face, Mm. even if you could accomplish it. But I, I, I think imagery wise you look at an image of a suffering child or something like that and it impacts you on a visceral level right and you feel like you have to do something about that and i think communism and socialism do that to people you know you have this image of equality and well the image of suffering first and you know, all this stuff that happens it's like uh, the media puts forth narratives that uh, black people are being murdered by police officers and that impact that impacts people on a visceral level and so they feel like they need to do something they feel like they need to uh, appeal to the government appeal to some some policy or something in order to uh, cure that injustice and and so they go to things that sound good that that give them that emotional satisfaction and again i'm i'm going to i'm going to appeal to thomas soul because like he's so good on this stuff but he one of the things he says is that there's so many issues that are misunderstood and it's not because the issues are complex but it's because that they don't give people the emotional satisfaction they don't give people a villain to hate they don't give people a hero to cheer uh so people want that they they want that conflict and they want to be able to hone in and say this is the this is the villain Mm. we're going to fight the villain and this is the hero we're going to celebrate the hero and so it gives people that emotional satisfaction so i i I think that has a lot to do i think it's the most more emotional reasoning i think people just see the equality and the you know the idea of equality and the idea of fairness on paper the idea of justice in that sense on paper and to achieve that they think that they can do that through the government through expanding government power and through force mm-hmm. and it's, it's just and what used to like again they, we look at history and all the times that it failed the what you pointed out the people just they ignore it because I mean, it just, it completely cancels out the premise. So mm. it has to be false, right? It has to, it, like, that can't be what we're talking about here, because what I think now is is emotionally valid. And in order for it to be emotionally valid, then the other stuff needs to be invalid. And so that can't be real communism. It can't be real socialism. Sure, so it's yeah. a coping mechanism. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, it's pretty simple. Uh, you, any kind of utopian society requires 100% buy-in, right? Um, which means that by definition you have to remove individual liberty from the equation but anytime you yeah. remove individual liberty from the equation it's as though you've removed uh, uh, gravity from from a star right now it's only nuclear fusion that's happening and it's going to explode yeah. right I mean that's it, it's there, there's a symbiosis between the efforts of the individual and the structure of government that create you know a balance between the two and the only thing that really, persist over long periods of time, the only real inoculation to tyrannical bullshit is, is individual liberty. It's the only thing that works. So, you know, to me, right. th- it's when you remove that from the equation, it's like, yeah, it does sound like a good idea. Well, because people people will sit around and think and this is this is what we're experiencing these days is 100 percent just a symptom of of privilege, right, of, of having solved a lot of our existential problems and saying, you know, what would life be like if it was absolutely perfect? Um, what exactly is the utility yeah. in even asking that question, you know what I mean? Because we've never defined life. There's, there's no form of life anywhere in the universe that we're aware of that defines itself by perfection. It's all, it's, it's chaos, right? I mean, it's where it it's just the three laws of thermodynamics would tell you that.
0: Yeah. This is Jordan Peterson said, even if we were able to achieve that utopia, if we were able to achieve perfection. It would last for about 10 seconds before human beings blew it up. <laughs> So it's just not it's it's not something that exists in reality. And, you know, the idea uh that we can achieve that we can even get close to reality by eliminating liberty uh is it's it's outrageous. One of the things Milton Friedman said was that. You know, if you want more equality, then the best way to do that is through more liberty. Mm. A society that places liberty before equality will have a high degree of both. Whereas, you know, a society that places equality before liberty will have neither. Mm. And it's and it's what you said. It, you know, the, just the more you try to control it, the more you pull liberty away and out of the equation then the less that you have to treat people in unequally, you have to, It, it and that's the biggest problem with equity and the, those sort of initiatives, when you're trying to achieve these equality of outcomes, that the only way that you can do that is through force and uh, treating people unequally, treating people as if they're different and, uh, you know, the, the, discrimination it has to be, it has to be discrimination in order to, in order to achieve. And we see that and, you know, through every equity initiative, there is blatant, justified, rationalized discrimination. And it has to be that. And you only end up by equalizing people at the bottom. And we see that throughout mm-hmm. communist societies, all throughout history, Yeah, I mean, it never lifts people up, tears people down Certainly, yeah. every time.
1: You, you ultimately end up in a caste system of some sort when that's the yep. case. Um, yeah, it's, it's – and, it, you know, the the push towards equity equality has some truly ironic results. And, you know, like Columbia University announced today that they're going to eliminate uh, SAT and SAT scores from their entry requirements for undergraduates. Yeah. Like, all right, cool, man. You can do whatever you want. But the reason that these standardized tests were invented in the first place were to address low-income, low – low, uh, uh, I guess, low frequency schools in America, because how do you, how do you look at somebody that went to a shitty school and tell what their potential is versus somebody that went to a good school and got everything right? One of them is to come up with a standardized test that, that takes all of that out of account. And it's just about your ability to process, right? I mean, uh, and now they're gone. So they're going to remove that. And then what? You know what i mean i i'm not sure exactly how do you how do you maintain quality columbia is is an ivy league university so i don't don't understand how you go to your board uh and i am based on i I could look it up i'm sure i I can get close though it's their endowment's probably somewhere the 20 billion range if i had to guess because harvard princeton they're all in about the 30 billion range how do you go to your board like that and say you know what we're going to make sure that the name columbia university on a degree doesn't mean anything anymore This episode of Citizens is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran operated and supports America's military, law enforcement and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roasts, rounds and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium, you can choose the texture, you can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee, whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean, or if you use a Keurig and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wider uh, array of options for that. Get 20% off your first order with the code citizen. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, use the code citizen and get 20% off your first order. This episode of Citizens also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. If you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out, go to ghostbed.com forward slash so bros, whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket, they have everything you need there, 30% off everything, Use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros, or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deals 40% off.
0: I you you have to think there will be blowback eventually. And you see that already from schools who have been doing that for a long time, HBCUs specifically, mm. that have had very lenient admission standards. And their graduation rates are in the teens at, at the highest. You know, yeah, yeah, there's there's one school and I'm forgetting the name of it now, but that their graduation rate was like five percent. So <laughs> like you're not setting anybody up for success. Like who are you helping? That's the question. Like who's being helped by this? Like you're you're boosting your numbers, I guess, and you're you're giving yourself this sort of uh, virtue signaling. Of uh, give you, get yourself virtue points, uh, you know, where those sort of things are rewarded and incentivized. I I suppose that Columbia would be uh, would would be okay with that. But on the other end, yeah, like what happens to quality? What happens when your graduation rate drops and the kids that you're admitting can't keep up with the coursework? Uh, then the only solution like in order to keep up the facade, which we see this in public schools already, the only the way to keep up the facade is to lower the standards in the classroom itself is to lower the grading standards and to uh, get rid of testing and get rid of grades, get rid of testing in the classroom, uh, you know, lower the standards in certain classes. It, so, yeah, eventually that degree what's going to happen is is people are going to look at that degree and they're going to say, okay, you went to that school where they have these lowered standards Mm -hmm. and diversity initiatives. So therefore you're not, you know, you're not going to be taken as seriously. And so nobody's helped and nobody thinks that again, second, third order effects, nobody thinks along those lines. It's only the short-term emotional satisfaction of the current moment. Like Like, look how virtuous we are. Look how look how good we're helping people. This is amazing. And not even taking into account like, you know, you have a kid that could do well at a lower level university and you admit them to a higher level university where the, the coursework is something that they can't keep up with. I like how are you helping that student? They they would have been much better served to go to a a different school where they would have fit better, rather than let them get in on lower standards to this to this school and Mm -hmm. then end up flunking out or or whatever. I mean, it's it's outrageous. Yeah, it doesn't.
1: To me, it feels kind of like um, it feels kind of like the subprime mortgage thing, where you know, banks and lenders in America decided they wanted to broaden their customer base, even to people that didn't necessarily qualify for the yeah. product. And with the expectation that if things went wrong, the government would bail them out. And that's exactly what's happening, right? All of these, uh, it, it's no secret or I'm sorry, it's no surprise rather that, uh, that people in, in, in academia are lobbying for student loans to be for quote unquote, forgiven, whatever that means. Uh, yeah. but you know, if right. you, if you put somebody into a and in a, into an institution like this, that's, unequipped or unprepared for it that they can fail out and maybe you suffer from that as an institution but you know do you really when you have a 20 billion dollar endowment maybe a little bit but over time it'll probably regulate itself but the individual student who's now for a place like columbia a hundred thousand plus in debt right uh with nothing to show for it, not even the degree, because they weren't able to, to accomplish it. Now now you're creating subprime right. mortgage lenders or uh, uh, borrowers who they got to live in the house for a little while and live that dream. And now they're fucked for seven years at a minimum,
0: right? <laughs> That's a good analogy. I like that one. Then, you know, the other, the other angle to this too, is that there are people who would get admitted to Columbia or, or other schools without the lowered standards, without needing the lowered standards. And so they become victim—they become victimized by this because people are gonna look at it and say, well, the only reason you got in is because they lowered the standards, even though that's not true. And so, yeah, it, it becomes this bigotry of low expectations, right? It's like, oh, well, we have to help you out because you couldn't succeed on your own. And now you f- permanently have this stamp on you. I, I mean, I went to Ohio University in Athens and I, I went to grad school there as well and that sort of thing as a as a black person that sort of thing hangs over your head where you wonder like okay like i didn't have i didn't have a the, the highest gpa in my class and I, so you wonder it's like how much did race play into my getting admitted to ohio university and you have that hanging over your head so if if it's more explicit and i, I think about uh, katanji brown jackson mm. being appointed to the supreme court specifically uh if she was let's use her as an example if she was truly the best person for the supreme court then there would be no need to have a racial filter at all uh, or a gender filter he used both biden used both racial and gender so if she's the best person then she would get she would have been chosen she would have been picked regardless of the filter but what the filter says is that she was not the best person it explicitly says that she was not going to be chosen Unless the better choices were filtered out, the other non-black, non-female choices were filtered out that were better than her, and then she was the best choice remaining. And now she has that hanging over her head uh, permanently because people have to wonder, like, well, the only reason she got there is because she was a black yeah. woman, and Biden, and Biden said that explicitly. They, that what that's what he was going to do. So it's not it's it's not a fair thing. If I was her, I would be upset. Because why would you want that hanging over your head? I mean, maybe she doesn't care. I'm, I'm sure she doesn't. She's on the Supreme Court, but but for other people who uh, who are not on the Supreme Court, I it's just not it's not a fair asterisk to put over them when they have the ability. Another another good example would be if we if we took LeBron James, who is widely regarded as you know one of the best players to ever play basketball, mm-hmm. and we lowered the rim to six feet, cleared out the defense, and you. Know, the ref comes and put him, puts him on his shoulders and lets him dunk wide open. It's like it, that would be insane because people regard him as being the best player on the court, and so why would he need that? Why would he need extra help? Why would he need that sort of assistance when he's supposedly the best person? So it, it's ridiculous because what you're what you're saying the explicit overtones here are that. Yeah, these, they can't do it on their own and we have to give them help to do it. Mm. And it's just it's it's nonsense.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, it is curious. The thought process for, uh, I guess, leftists and people that, that believe this kind of thing. But um, the expectation that black people aren't capable of hiring an attorney to start a business or get an I.D.,
0: where, where they going to the internet? It's like <laughs> okay. what do, I don't where, know how I'm on here right now. I'm just, I, yeah,
1: no shit. It's like, have you ever <laughs> met any black people in your life? Do you know any? It's it's very bizarre to me how how you yeah. could say that publicly. It's like uh, 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 James uh, Lindsay calls it the Iron Law of Woke Projection, which is that yeah, if right. they're if they're saying something, accusing somebody of something, they are almost certainly guilty of that thing, right? Yeah. um and i i don't i really don't see the point it's kind of it's, it's exhausting trying to talk to these people frankly um so usually i don't but i think um something you said earlier about the way that people need to see these issues framed in a particular way maybe it's because of the way the human mind works maybe it's because of uh you know books film and television and just following narrative driven structure over time but if, if if it is indeed the case that when people look at life or a particular problem or whatever it is as uh, a narrative that requires some kind of structure, which is to say there's a villain, there's a victim, and there's a hero, right? Then, you know, I can, I can have a conversation with somebody like that because it's about defining the terms and, re- and recognizing who exactly fits into those roles, right? Because mo- most of the time, the vast majority of the time, life itself is, is the villain, you know what I mean? Uh, disease and aging and depression and whatever else is, is typically speaking going to be the victim or the villain in a situation. And we're all victims of it. You know, up until relatively recently, the vast majority of every race was poor as shit. And there were a couple of rich people here and there. And uh, you know, I'm not sure who the hero was in that story, except for maybe John Locke. Right. I mean, people that advocated for individual rights and property rights and things like that to create a buffer between, you know, if you have to go to the, to the government or to your local governor or warden or whomever it is for everything, for permission, even then, you know, you're kind of fucked, right? I mean, there's, there's no, there's, there's, there's nothing really to be done about that except for get rid of that person. And now we're, uh, the, the periods of great, the greatest growth in human history have been primarily driven by one or more innovators followed by a lot of people who believed in what they were doing and got on board with it and and did like created an infrastructure of workforce to production uh to sales to whatever right i mean that's typically how it goes it very rarely actually i I can't think of one thing the government has ever done it's like oh you know what we were having all these problems and the government came in and solved it like no not really i mean it was (laughs) like when we had uh, uh during hurricane katrina for example uh, FEMA completely fucked that whole thing up, and what they ended up doing was contracting Walmart to come do everything because they had infrastructure for supply chain and for delivering goods. You know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck is the government right. doing here?
0: <laughs> Taking credit for everything—that's yeah. that's, that's what the government's good at doing, or eschewing blame like, at least, defle- right? def- deflecting blame. Yeah. yeah, that's that's it. But it it is interesting because you know something you said it, we we are living in one of the most pro- the, well the most prosperous time in human history i mean particularly in this country in, in the united states of america and you think about the progress that's been made since the 1950s 1960s and you know it's particular, particularly on the racial element, since we're you know talking about critical race theory and one of the things that the progressive left really holds on to is that we have not made any progress whatsoever Particularly on the racial front, but just in general, as as Western society and Western culture, they they believe is toxic and poisonous, and they think that it's all just built to oppress and built to tear people down, except for the elites who are in power. And you know, there's this very real sense of ingratitude and a lack of perspective when it comes to these issues. And you know, we talk, you talk about defining the terms and talking to people who have this villain hero narrative sort of thing but what i found is that when you talk to these people their idea of villainy and heroism really comes down to the fundamental aspects of western society mm. and it's, it's not like one thing is like they really believe that the at least the the fun the people who are are really buy really bought into the ideology they really believe that the entirety of western society is oppressive it's the it's antonio gramsci's idea of cultural hegemony right the the idea that the entirety of society is built to oppress and even the oppressed don't even realize it because it's just the status quo it's in the culture it's interwoven into the very fabric of our institutions and so the villain is everything it's it's our constitution it's free speech it's it's the second amendment it's it's the idea of constitution their neutral principles of constitutional law these are things that are directly from the founders of critical race theory by the way mm. they they say this stuff explicitly that they're against it and so it's, it makes it very difficult and then on the other end of it is the in, incessant manipulation of language i put it that way and so it's words don't mean what they what they should mean when the progressive left and you're Mm. very familiar with that sure but so when you talk about words that like compassion or empathy or justice even those words don't mean what we would think that they would mean what most people think they mean they mean bow down to the progressive ideology. They mean capitulate and uh, yeah, really embrace the progressive, uh, the progressive mantra and the progressive dogma. And a lot of people don't recognize that. So you, know, you get a phrase like Black Lives Matter. And uh, you know, most people would say, yeah, of course, <laughs> Black Lives Matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter. And so and what's what that ha- what happens is they use that phrase to manipulate people in order to capitulate to the ideologies the more extreme things and so well if you believe in black lives matter then you have to agree that all white people are racist that racism is endemic it's interwoven into the fabric of our society that then we have to pay reparations and all of this other western society is oppressed I mean all of this stuff and just from the phrase black lives matter and you're like well wait that's not what i meant mm. i just meant that i thought black lives so it's, it's it becomes a very uh a, a very ma- manipulative tactic and dance that they play in order to get people to uh, yeah, go along with the ideology. So it makes it difficult to talk to those people, even still.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's definitely true. Uh, you know, but the, the good news is about the United States is if somebody really believes in, uh, collectivism in the way that they say they believe in it, right. At in the way that they will, put it in their Twitter bio or whatever the fuck people do. Um, yeah. You can do that. You you can go find a co-op farm somewhere and and purchase it or purchase it with a group and, and move there and allow others to come there as well. And you can all do whatever the fuck you want. And there's multiple, actually, in Southern Ohio, there's quite a few of them. Um, uh, uh, one of my friends used yeah. to live down there. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a, yeah, there's like an old hippie commune uh, down there that she lived in growing up. And uh, I think Chappelle moved back down towards one of those uh, when he when he moved back to the States. It's like, you can do that. You have that power in this country. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. As a matter of fact, nobody can stop you from doing that here for the most part. Um, so I don't think that it's that people want something that they can't have, which is this just versus unjust argument that we hear a lot. It's that they want something that they don't have to work for, right? That they don't have to be responsible for. And that's the way a child right. behaves. You know what I mean? This is all very sophomoric, all, of, all of these ideologies. There's a reason people used to talk about this stuff in college or maybe in their twenties when they were on cocaine. But once you become an adult and you have real responsibilities, you're like, Oh yeah, that's stupid. I've actually got to go to fucking work now. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, so it's, I I agreed that there's a lot of delusion that it's hard to bypass. And you know, when people start messing around with language, that's where anytime, no matter who it is, like the Republicans did it as well in, um, in the mid-90s, this guy Frank Luntz, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a Republican communications consultant. Yeah. And he was he was big with uh, Newt Gingrich once he became Speaker of the House to turn the word liberal into a fucking insult, right? And I think that was one of the first shots across the bow that kind of got us yeah. in, into the position we're in today, which is to say Republicans went so hard against, quote-unquote, evil liberals or whatever, or, or, or whatever, however you want to phrase that. And liberal became almost a pejorative term that liberals leaned into it. And we've seen a rapid progression towards the left way, way more than we saw in the seventies, eighties and nineties, even, even during the summer of love bullshit. You know, it was, it was mostly uh, about other things than that. And now we see it's just getting crazy. Right. And I think, I think we look, look, I'm not blaming Frank Lutz for all the problems in America right now. I'm just saying that anytime anybody starts to manipulate (laughs) language, that becomes really problematic. You should be deeply suspicious of that person because they have an agenda.
0: Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I've always said that the word "liberal" needs to be returned to its original meaning because the the progressive left is about as illiberal as it gets when you you start talking about the. Uh, the push toward communism, the push push towards socialism and the idea that people need to be controlled, which actually brings me to my next point that, that you know, the, the idea that people can go. And I think you're right. People, the, people do have the freedom to go do this on their own. If they want to create a commune and go somewhere and you know, share resources, go do that. That's fine. Go, that, but, but that's not what they want. And it's so. It, what really it comes down to, at least for the people who truly believe in this stuff, who who truly push it, is that it comes down to power and control and they use things like race and gender and sexuality and, and these emotional manipulative issues in order to exert power and control or to gain power and control for themselves. And communism, I mean, that's that's been the story of communism all throughout history. Like right? you have people who that's what they want. They they preach equality, they preach unity and that we're utopianism, but ultimately it comes down to a, a group of people who want power and control and they will do whatever they can to get it. And we see that with critical race theory specifically, mm. that you know these people they are doing everything. They're using race as a. a we mentioned James Lindsay earlier. And what the way he puts it is a spear to gore Western society and to institute a cultural revolution and open us up to that in in order to gain power and control. So yeah, you do have a group of people who. Yeah, they they do want the the free, you know, everything for free and not, not have to work for anything. And, you know, that sort of thing appeals to them. But then you have another group of people who are very nefarious about it. And they're using these things to move to a point where they can gain more power and control for themselves. And they see that incentive in order to do that. So, well, that's the way it I always works. I, right? I think it's both. Yeah, that's yeah.
1: that's kind of the way. I mean, uh, a good that con, the reason Constantine made Christianity the official religion of the Roman empire was just that he saw the tide turning. It was like, well, if I can do this, then I can use, uh, uh, the, I I can use that. I can leverage that power against my enemies, essentially to stay in power. That, that, that was, that's the crux of that, but it's, this is the way it always works. And it's the premise of this show. The reason I call it citizen is because you can either whine, bitch and moan about your rights and what's fair. And you can, you know, wait around for, for, an aristocratic class to secure those rights for you, and you'll be a subject under their rule. Or you can do it yourself, right? You can box the government out, you can accomplish the things the government is trying to without their interference, and take some responsibility in your life, and then you will be a citizen of a country. And there's the difference between those two things is pretty wide, and frankly, could save, if not your life, your children or grandchildren's. You, you, You mentioned cultural revolution. I really recommend anybody that has been paying attention in politics for the last couple of uh, five or ten years or so to to really look into the Maoist cultural revolution and what it was and how yeah. it happened. It wasn't exactly. just your average genocide. It was a it, it it was to change the way people think. It was to change. Mm. It was to set a new status quo. Right, that government is God essentially, which is a pretty you know uh, uh, ubiquitous thought process over the course of human history, but. You know it wasn't like that in china for a little while and he needed it to be like that again and here we are right i mean it's the the effects right. of it have been devastating
0: yeah, and it's, it's one of the things that we don't talk about much in even in public schools. I, I, I didn't learn about Mao until I was in my 30s. I had no idea. And it wasn't even that long ago. It was, it was what's incredible. But one of the things that Mao said is that in order to build a new society on an old site, the old site must be swept clean. Mm-hmm. And what they wanted to do during the Cultural Revolution is really eliminate the entirety of their history and build a new communist utopia on the ashes the four holds yeah you know, and then i don't know if i'll get them all Four the old old culture old uh tradition uh, what is the old what was it old uh what was the other one uh there, habits there were, there were and ones. one other old one. habits i don't yep. know
1: what the other one is yeah, cultural but, tradition remember, habits but, yeah or not not but, tradition but the, customs the four, that's what it is oh ideas custom. is the other one so ideas, ideas customs okay. culture and habits
0: yeah that's it yeah. So, but the idea was to eliminate those things. The basically the old ways, the old cultures, the old ways of thinking, like you said, could create this entirely new communist utopia from the ashes. And what happened is, you know, people uh, began to uh, hold hold struggle sessions. <laughs> you know, take people who were they they believed to be the enemies to the ideology, the enemies to Mao in this case, and you know, drag them out in the streets or drag them out to the public square, and humiliate them. But you can't, and do, that. You, you outright, can't do that. West, right? You can't do that in the West, right? Yo,
1: you can't do oh yeah, that in the West. You can't you can't drag people happens. into the street to beat people <laughs> because of what they believe necessarily. Um you, you you do see it from time to time, but we we've taken a different approach. We've tried to use manufacturing consent consent and shame, right? So like think about yeah. uh the last couple of years with the COVID bullshit. Well, if you don't get vaccinated and wear a mask everywhere you go, you don't care about people. That that's the fucking that, that is how the the argument was framed it's like well maybe i just have paid attention to basic fucking biology for the last fucking hundred years since the last major pandemic right. like this and realized that the data i'm being fed is nonsense you know what i mean it's like the, right, right, right. The, the informed part of informed dissent seems to be the the it seems to be the more appropriate and important part right dissent is dissent and it's important but in the, like in the 2015, 2016, 2017 period, there was a lot of Facebook and Twitter stuff where it was, you know, on both sides. But since conservatives went, won that election, there was just a lot of conspiratorial nonsense put into uh, an infographic and shared rapidly throughout the internet. It's like, all right, cool, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, like th- people are definitely doing some fucking weird shit right now. But if you entered the argument and you're not armed with the truth and with accurate information, then it's a net negative for everybody, but mostly your side, right? It's, it, we, we, I don't know if this is just a breakdown of culture or what, but our, uh, it's, it it does seem like we need a new epistemology because people don't know who or what to believe in anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it used to be that we thought science would be pragmatic to some degree so maybe they don't t- say everything that's going on and, and couch the things they're saying and, and the caveat that, hey, this, this could change in the future because we're still collecting information and people were pretty comfortable with that. Right. But what I didn't expect to see were scientists become propagandists in a, in a in a time where it isn't like they're having a gun held to their fucking head to do it. Like it's not, this isn't Rome where you're going to get your head cut off if you don't say what the fucking emperor wants you to, you might lose some credibility if they try to come after you or whatever. But man, I, I, that, that's the last thing I ever expected to happen was science to turn on us like
0: that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a trend just all across the board the this, this idea that we should t- trust the experts and then the mm-hmm. experts turn out to be lying straight to our face. It's, it, it, it's been incredible. One, one thing I would say real quick is that, uh, what you mentioned about struggle sessions, I, I was going to say that, yeah, like, like we're not, it, it's not exactly the same. it's, mm-hmm. It, it's couched in the cancel culture and this idea of publicly humiliating people through social media or getting them fired from their jobs. Or, I mean, you know, what happened to Bethany Mandel mm. recently because she couldn't define woke uh, in in the moment. And then the, you know the the mob comes for you and says, "Aha! See, you are a heretic, and now we need to hold you up as a heretic and publicly mock you and and for your blasphemy, whatever." Um, But yeah this this idea that you know one of the things i've really bemoaned is you know people are so busy in their everyday lives they don't have time to do deep dives into all of this stuff um even like even having time to do cursory research you know it's it's tough for a lot of people with with jobs and and kids i mean it's 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 difficult i'm interested in politics and I, i i focus a lot on this stuff and even i don't have time to do a lot of deep dives on different things so what what we have to depend on or what we've had to depend on in the past is is journalists to really do those deep dives for us and then give us the information and so like one of the one of my awakenings uh, to this whole idea that yeah you know, the media was being less than truthful about these different narratives was the Mike Brown incident in Ferguson mm-hmm. and when that happened and they were talking about the hands up don't shoot and all that nonsense and I and I realized that they weren't telling us and that was such a disenchanting moment for me because before that point I had trusted the media and I believed that they were mostly telling us the truth and you know you trusted the experts the, and you, you figured that well yeah, even if they're wrong from time to time they weren't intentionally <laughs> being wrong like it's just they you know I bet I, I mostly trusted them and then I realized that they had an agenda, and that's my naivety coming out, but I realized at that point that they had an agenda and that they were couching certain things and certain narratives in order to manipulate people. And one of the things I've been moaned is that at this point, particularly after 2016 and the whole Trump debacle, people can't trust what's being said in the media. People don't know what's true. And if we don't know what's true then where does that put us as a country like if we can't trust our elections if we can't trust our uh, if we can't trust scientists to tell us the truth if we can't trust the media to give us proper perspective about things then who who can we trust and how do we know what is what is fact from fiction and that's a real problem to be that's a that's a real bad place to be in for the country if people don't really and that's where conspiracy theories come from so you can't really blame people for coming up with their own their own ideas about what's happening because the media has been very adamant about lying to people the people in charge have been very adamant about lying, lying to people.
1: Yeah. And it's, you know, I I guess from the, um, from the individual's perspective, it can be difficult to understand why you're being lied to. Right. Um, I, I think a lot of folks in government do it because it's an aristocracy and they feel like, Uh, two things one that people don't or people don't deserve the truth because they're a pleb right or it's because these people just don't see the full picture so they it's a nanny state thing right like they don't they don't understand it's the same reason that um the church historically kept bible in latin until 1511 right so people had to come to the state to access god that's that's really what it is right You and and today god is like forget about the the uh, uh, the God part of it and just think about, you know, what's important to anybody in, in life these days, whether it doesn't matter. I'm not going to define what it is because everybody's got something different, but if you can capture yeah. those things that are important, you know, ubiquitously among people and become the through throughput for it, right? Now you've got complete control over folks. And it's, I don't think it's intrinsically just people and like, fucking dark robes in a room and a cabal that are saying, you know, we've (laughs) we've got to control that it's easy to become conspiratorial like that and think that there's, you know, powerful dark forces working against you. And in some cases that is true. But what's far more nefarious is the fact that your ambivalence or unwillingness to participate in the political process or in your own life and take responsibility for it is truly to blame here that is what allows any sort of bad actor regardless of what their motivation might be to come in and take control of your life um what's the saying idle hands are the devil's play thing right and that's how it works it's predators will show up if you leave your chickens unattended that's just how it works
0: yeah yeah you know uh it it was fauci who said that you know, basically I'm paraphrasing him here, but basically that he had to lie in order to get people to do what he wanted them to do. That's essentially what he what he was saying, that he had to be less than truthful. Otherwise people weren't going to go along <laughs> go along with what he thought was best. And yeah, it's it's that sense that they know better and that we don't know anything. And we just need to, it it is very religious. It is is very religious on its face and that the government is, and I will use the word God, I I think it's seen as the government is God and that it's this this idea that you must bow to government and you must adhere to the holy dogma that's being passed down by the state. And there's no need, no need to question it because they're going to give you the dogma and all you need to do is worship at the throne. And that's, that's, that's your only role. That's all you need to worry about. And it's, you know, you see that very uh, specifically with the race stuff, well, the gender stuff too, mm-hmm. but you know, like we're told that we can't understand, what it's like to be oppressed, or you know, you don't understand what it actually mean. What racism actually means, you can't. It's gnostic. You know, the only the people who are embraced in this oppression, only they can understand, and you have to listen to them. They tell you you need to shut up and and just be an ally. So you get that on multiple different fronts, and you know, people start to question. People start to, you know, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe I maybe I don't know what's true and maybe i should just listen to these narratives and go along with it and that's that's a problem as well but I, I think you're absolutely right people need to be more involved with the political process and they need to be more involved with uh you know, seeking out what is true and you know it, not trusting what they're being told by mm. the uh the, the people in power the people who have an incentive to manipulate them
1: yeah it's there's, uh, there's
0: a lot of that. there's it, a lot of it
1: that that's uh you know that's your inoculation if you're thinking about this as a as a mind virus and gatsot would say it's certainly a mind virus right um your inoculation is to um just be alert to the fact that people are trying to capture your attention with a purpose you know what i mean um we've gotten so used to uh, uh, we've gotten so used to marketing in the united states everywhere you look there's an advertisement for something and you and i are both to some degree in that industry right because that's how it works. But, um, you know, people have gotten so used to it that they don't even notice it's happening anymore, you know. And uh, I, I like the the way you describe the belief, the core belief in systemic racism. It kind of, to me, it sounds like, um, what's that guy's name? Deepak Chopra, when he's talking about, when he's trying to weave in physics terms like quantum entanglement into his bizarre observations about uh, human psychology and stuff like that. It's just like, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Do you, like, no, dude, what you're saying is fucking stupid. But, you know, it, soo- <laughs> it sounds cool. It's just marketing. It, sound, it
0: sounds good, um, yeah.
1: Let's talk about, since, since we we kind of, uh, you kind of mentioned it there for a moment, the, um, the godhood of the state is the ultimate, you know, result, I believe, of any kind of authoritarian government that it has to be, right? Like, you have to be beyond reproach. Right in whatever way you can you can make it and that's kind of what are, are one of the themes of your book informed Descent*. tell me about the book and what's what's uh what you're discussing in there
0: yeah well the, the book itself is is breaking down what critical race theory is on a fundamental level and using the founder's own words to do it there's a lot of times i think people get caught in a trap where they're pushing back against race centric ideology or race centric policies and they get challenged on it and they call it critical race theory and then they did they can't really define it and or don't really know its origins or, you know, don't know some of the uh the proponents of it or things like that. Different manipulative tactics that the, the, the progressive left uses mm-hmm. to basically uh you know reject people's arguments. And again, Bethany Mandel got caught up in that trying to define woke. Like immediately her argument was deemed ridiculous because she had a had a brain fart on that. But so the, the idea is to equip people with that knowledge so that they know what it is, how it operates, how it disguises itself as diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives, anti-racism, uh, black lives matter. I mean, I mean, pick pick one culturally responsive teaching, whatever, whatever these race centric ideologies that have infiltrated our society, which at the root are, are critical race theory in application so i'm in educates people on how that works and then also like we mentioned earlier the language manipulation mm. i talk about that quite a lot how they use different language manipulative t- manipulation tactics different tactics like Mott and bailey like kafka mm. traps uh different ways to get people to go along with the ideology or at least not push back or or question themselves and not not push back um because it's like oh like well yeah i do want my kid to learn history I, I don't you know that's not what i mean you know so and and then the through line of the book is just this idea that we should move toward because one of one of my main passions is that we need to move toward a post-racial colorblind society and i think that's That's the antidote for all of this stuff as as far as race goes, is that we move toward a place where race or skin color is treated no more as consequential as hair color or eye color, something, something along those lines. And the through line of the book is that is that it's the antithesis of critical race theory and that we need to embrace each other as individuals. So I promote individualism all the time. And then you know, see each other as unique individuals rather than these collective identities and reject that idea that we can group people into these collective identities and know something about them or make value judgments about them on some some fundamental level. So it's basically just trying to give people a tool to fight back against critical race theory and back I mean, against the idea of wokeness or the religion of wokeness itself and embrace individualism and colorblindness.
1: Um, yeah, it's interesting. So are there some what What are some just uh, quick, specific things and conversations um, that people should be on the lookout for? I guess you mentioned Kafka traps. You want to explain what that means?
0: Yeah, Kafka trap. means basically means that you're guilty no matter what you do. And that's a through line of critical race theory that you have to accept the dogma and any denial of racism or denial of of uh, racist systems or systemic racism, institutionalized racism is evidence that (laughs) they're right. Basically they're, that you're racist and that the systems are racist because then Well, I'll I'll back up a little bit. So the the Kafka trap is basically just this idea that if you are accused of something, then you're guilty if you admit to it. Mm. And you're also guilty if you deny it because a guilty person would deny that they're that they're guilty, right? So I mean, that's the it, logic. That, that
1: sounds like something that would say, right? Yeah, that's right.
0: Exactly. I mean, but it's so, ultimately it, it's
1: an unfalsifiable accusation, which is not it, it, from if if we were talking science, um, and your your theory was unfalsifiable, then you don't have a theory. You've got a you know a good idea maybe or something. Yeah, it's nonsense.
0: Yeah, it's it's flat Earth theory, mm. right? It's it, you know you show people evidence that the Earth is round, and they say that's just more evidence that the Earth is flat, and there's this grand conspiracy <laughs> to hide it. <laughs> you know, say it's that same kind of thing, and that's what that's essentially what critical race theory is. It's this non falsifiable pseudoscientific theory where the claim is that racism is everywhere. It's in all of these systems, and it's all around us, and any anything that. Uh, opposes it or anything that contradicts it is just further evidence that the racism is hidden in the system in perpetuating these ideas. So yeah, they. I mean, one thing Ibr- Ibram X. Kendi said that uh, denial is the heartbeat of racism. So this is not something that you know is just the, some fringe person somewhere is, is accused somebody of racism. Mm-hmm. Like these are the the main proponents of these ideologies that are pushing this stuff. And I don't even remember who he was responding to when he said it. But the idea that if you deny that you're racist or you deny that a system is racist is evidence of racism in the system. It's, it's just ridiculous. But they they never need evidence. And that's one of the beautiful things about critical race theory is that it's going to be racism no matter what happens. And I think specifically about the situation with George Floyd. And how still to this day, there's not a lick of evidence that what happened to George Floyd had anything to do with race, Mm. but just the the fact that it happened and it it involved a white police officer and a, and a, um, a black suspect, just those facts alone are enough to say that, yes, this is evidence of systemic racism, it's evidence that They that black people suffer under the in this case under the knee of knees of police officers. And we have to accept that as a foregone conclusion without any challenge whatsoever. And any opposition to that will just be seen as uh white supremacy, like in my case, internalized white supremacy, Mm. apparently. But uh enough. Another good example is those five police officers in Memphis uh, that killed the black guy. That was seen as an example of white supremacy. And it has to be that for them because everything serves as an example of white supremacy, even things that go against the narrative and seem to contradict it. Even things things that don't involve
1: a single white person, which is interesting, right? right?
0: Even things that don't involve just... Yeah. Kyle Rittenhouse is another case, yeah. which didn't involve a single black person, but somehow, <laughs> somehow that's also evidence oh, of white God. supremacy. But I mean, this is the way it works. Everything is, is evidence. Every, even either you admit that it's racism or you deny it. And then that's evidence that it is racism. Well, you know, so there's they win, no wor- heads, heads. Th- I win tells you lose. Yeah.
1: There's no worse position to be in than in an interrogation room telling the truth. Right. Because They're going to, you don't have anything to confess and you're fucked, right? Right. Either way. Um, Yeah. I think, uh, and I like that you kind of angle it toward back towards when, when, you know, it's when, when you're talking about solutions and stuff back towards individualism, there's a reason why it's really important. And I'll I'll just give a brief kind of explanation of of why it is aside from just, you know, I want to do what I want to do. It's not that. It's not that simple, right? right? I mean, that people that that when people get involved in conversations about liberty and stuff and it's just like that, I'm like, all right, you're just as much of a toddler as the other person. Let's have an actual conversation here. The reason that individualism is really important, one is that it uh, decentralizes power. That's a really important thing to do because power in the hands of few doesn't really work out well for anybody ever except for those few people. We know that historically. The other part of it is if the onus is on people in uh, whatever form of power they're in to convince the population of what they're doing is right, then there's some meritocracy involved in that, right? So private militaries, it used to, it, b- before before the 19th century, you didn't see a whole lot of uh, standing armies, you know what I mean? Like you, you, would, right. you would go to war and, and during that time you'd just find able-bodied men and create a private military typically uh, would be the case. And the only way you can really do that is with a value proposition. Either the war is just, or the pay is really good, or something. You had to you had to provide the people who are actually doing the work some kind of benefit to do the work. And if you didn't, then the work didn't get done. So there was a you there was an there's an extra layer of. Uh, uh, meritocracy in there to make sure that they, and that this is the way, this is this market economics this is the way it's supposed to work, right? You test an idea if the market right. says yes, and the, the idea works. And that this is from a sociological standpoint, the same thing. And when you eliminate that, then it just becomes the whims of the aristocracy and that these people are so out of touch with reality. And it's, it's not even that they're all necessarily bad people. It's just, you've been rich your entire life. How could you possibly know how
0: to solve this problem? Right. Well, it, it, even if they don't know, they think the government will know and the government will be able to to solve it for them. So they say, oh, I see a problem. So therefore, I, I give the power to the government to go solve it. Oh, uh, We need kids need lunches in schools. So, so go go solve that problem, government. We don't need any responsibility on my part to go to go do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, individualism is And I've had this conversation with people many times because a lot of times you bring up individualism, and, yeah, they 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 equate it with selfishness mm-hmm. and this idea of getting rid of community and things like that. And that's not the case. it's It's just that you see people as individuals and and people are treated as individuals rather than collective entities. And yeah, in it what I always say is that when you talk about liberty, when you talk about freedom, it you always talk about responsibility. that linked to it it's not separate you don't it's not just freedom to do whatever you want or go you know just blow things up like it's the liberty comes with a sense of responsibility and part of that responsibility is having a responsibility to your community and responsibility to the people around you and so but people need the liberty to do that right like that shouldn't. it can't happen through force and that's the problem is that people think that People won't be benevolent, and mm. they they won't help their neighbors, and they won't ha- be charitable unless there is a gun to their head, mm. and the government is making them do that. And it just hasn't been the case throughout history. We've seen, you know, I mentioned earlier that the more liberty you have, the more equality you have, the more liberty you have, the more charity you have, the more the more people are feel like they're benevolent. If you take that away, then people feel like the government is needs to be the benevolent one, mm. and they don't have to do anything. They have no responsibility because they can just outsource it to the government and then we've seen what happens all throughout history when the government has too much power it's not benevolence that they engage in they (laughs) engage engage in oppression and uh leave millions of body dead bodies behind them in 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 their quest toward equality i mean it's the same as any other
1: fundamentalism you uh if you believe something to that level then you then you will naturally do anything to protect it no matter how fucked up the thing is you have to do to protect it is right it's that's just religious fundamentalism but in this case directed towards the state and i just to be clear the government has never built a road they paid private contractors to build roads and i'm pretty sure that right. we can figure out how to do my hoa does it all the time to they, they just like hire people to come do shit you don't think that i, I this that's such a stupid argument every time Uh, some, someone's like, Oh, you don't think, uh, you don't believe in a strong centralized government, then who's going to build our roads? Like, I don't know. I guess the road fairy will come in and do it. You fucking dummy. (laughs) Like what kind of stupid thing? Anyways. Um, yeah, I like, uh, I, 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 I enjoy the book. It's, um, it's interesting to see kind of, a. A systematic breakdown of CRT and and some of the language tricks that are used and stuff like that. Um, what else do you got going on inside the book that you think would be uh, interesting to folks?
0: So yeah, I mean, it, the 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 book is called Raising Victims, mm-hmm. and it's really rejecting the idea of infusing kids with this victim mentality. I mean, on the on both aspects, you're looking at infusing kids with this, you know, separating people into victim and oppressor and infusing kids in with their oppression mentality or guilt or whatever, and then infusing the other group of kids with this victim mentality. And I, I focus mostly on the victimhood, but I, I mean, it's it's all around. But this idea, one of, one of the stories I like to use is the story of Finding Nemo. And uh, I'm, I'm assuming mostly everybody is familiar with that that movie but you know nemo's this young fish with a gimpy fin who gets kidnapped and taken away from his overprotective father and then taken across the ocean and then plucked in this uh this fish tank in australia and so he's been kidnapped. He's been taken away from his family. He's He's got a gimpy fin. He's 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 about to be given to this eight-year-old menace who kills fish. <laughs> and so his life is pretty terrible at the moment. And he's a true victim, right? He's, he's truly been exposed to a victimhood. And he starts to panic about the prospects of these things. And he gets sucked into a filter tube and he's trapped. And all the fish in the tank freak out. And Gil, the leader of the tank, comes out and he's like, nobody touch him. Right. Nobody touch him. And so Gil surveys his situation. And he tells Nemo to swim out of the 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 filter on his own to get out on his own, which on the surface would seem cruel. Mm. And a progressive person would probably tell you that that is a cruel thing to do. Like, how could you not be compassionate in that scenario? Uh, he's been taken from his family. He's he's been thrown into this strange environment. He's stuck in a filter tube. It's injustice. It's terrible. He's being oppressed. He's victimized. How could you tell him to solve his own problems? It's 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 unconscionable. Mm. But Gil, but Gil recognized, and this is the point that I made in the book, is that Gil recognized that Nemo needed inner strength and inner fortitude. He needed. That internal locus of control and to know that he was strong enough to overcome adversity and overcome obstacles. So even in the face of real adversity, Gil recognized that Nemo needed to do it on his own so that he could have that ability and have that strength, that inner strength. And Nemo was also Nemo did it. He swam. He swam out and he escaped and he recognized that, you know, he was surprised. He's like, oh, look, Like, I, I can't believe I did it. Mm. And he was because of that, he was able to save his friend Dory and save a bunch of fish later and later on in the film. And I love I love that depiction because it shows what we should be teaching our children. That even in the face of true adversity, we need to teach them that they're strong and resilient and that they have fortitude and that they can overcome obstacles. And so even when they're faced with things that are out of their control, even when they're faced with a situation that they didn't put themselves in specifically, they have the power to overcome it and, and, and get through it. Instead of teaching them that they're helpless and that and teaching them anger and resentment, Gil could have done that. Gil could have taught, told Nemo that he should feel victimized, that he should feel oppressed. It's not fair. The tank, the tank is oppressing you. Nobody else is stuck in the filter. Nobody like maybe everybody else should have a gimpy fin. We need to make everybody else gimpy so that you feel a sense of justice. And none of that would have helped him out of the filter tube. None of that would have benefited Nemo at all. So. That's the point that I I made in the book that it's like, even in the face of the true, true struggles, even in the face of true adversity and true obstacles, kids need to be taught not to be victims, but to be victors, that they Mm. need to be resilient and strengthened, that they can overcome obstacles. And so if that's true in the face of true obstacles and true adversity, how much more so when it's contrived? So,
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, the old teach a man to fish thing which is at minimum 2,000 years old, but more likely 3,500-year-old wisdom. And, uh, you know, it's a symptom of the West. We seem to forget things and unsolve problems. I don't know, out of boredom or stupidity or whatever it is, but it's a good thing that people like you are out there, you know, tackling this subject and, and you know, doing academic research and writing on it and stuff. So we appreciate you doing that. We appreciate you coming today as well.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, anytime. And uh, you got everybody go check out the book. Uh, it is called, once again... Uh, let me get it right. Raising victims, the pernicious psych or the pernicious rise of critical race theory author is Leonidas Johnson. Uh, thanks again for coming, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, sir. we'll see you again soon. We'll see all you soon. This has been citizen.